Well, guys, let's uh, let's get started. I know people will be joining and, and coming in and out during the during the session, but we'll um, we'll post the recording later, and it'll be you know up on all podcast platforms as well, and get transcripts and stuff. But um, you know, genesis of the conversation was this interesting thread that Andrew put out, um, really around athlete, you know, college athletes, um, and they're seemingly uh like the propensity to kind of become creators and share and and build things beyond the sports field and i think it's an interesting topic and something that i've thought written about and and talked about on several occasions just like lessons learned on the field and kind of like in the trenches as it were um that apply to business investing life all of these things it's also a very interesting time, as you guys all know, uh, given NIL rule changes and the ability for athletes to start monetizing at an earlier stage in their careers um, and all of the opportunities that come around that. So um, I'd love to just kind of open it up and we can each maybe share some of our experiences and what we what we might have learned along the way. And and, um, you know, and then I'd love to talk more about the business side of all this and uh, some of the opportunities we're seeing, what like startup opportunities might exist around um, around NIL, around um, around Web3 and athletes, et cetera, uh, and kind of just play it freeform. But maybe maybe we can start with just like quickly each person kind of in- introduce yourselves very briefly. So, um, Jerry, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks, Hill. Uh, Jared Dorfler. I played college golf at University of Northern Iowa, mid-major, below average uh, golf school, really. Um, currently in the business world, I'm really interested in um, building an audience, building a brand on Twitter, I guess, um, and connecting with, with a lot of smart people. So it's been a lot of fun uh, interacting with this group, and I'm excited to learn more from, from everybody today. Barrett, you're up. Awesome. Hey, quick housekeeping item. Can we pull Corey up? Um, he's, yep. He was texting yep. me on the side. Yep. I got him. <laughs> um, hey, everyone. Barrett O'Neill. Um, I originally went to University of Virginia to play baseball. Um, in my the end of my freshman year, I had a pretty severe elbow injury, and then I ended up transferring to a D3 school called Babson College in Mass. And um, so I have a pretty unique perspective on college sports. I've seen it at both ends. Um, and currently I own and operate a few businesses, um, and am focused on like everybody else here, building Twitter audience, um, trying to put my thoughts and, and stuff out to the world. Um, so excited to be here. Thanks, Barrett. Um, so Andrew Petcash, um, and kind of how this whole thread came up is because I've been trying to obviously put out good stuff on NIL web three and just business of sports in general on Twitter, I kind of started to see, hey, there's definitely some correlation of athletes that are also doing the same thing on Twitter. And that's just for anyone listening, that's kind of how this whole thing even started. Um, So thanks to Sahil and everyone else for setting this up. But I played basketball at Boston University. Actually, my junior year, which was 2020, we went to the tournament. So March Madness, which just ended last night. And it got, it was the one year it got canceled. So Ever since that happened, I kind of started getting in the business mindset of like, hey, I want to stay in sports, but like I like business as well. So joined the Air app, which takes LinkedIn and t- uh, the concepts of LinkedIn and Tinder for, for sports. And I'm leading the product there and then building on Twitter and, and have a newsletter as well, diving kind of more into the depths of 
NIL, business of athletes, et cetera. Um, that's 30,000 foot view right there. And then got to meet a ton of great people like yourselves as well, which is honestly why I really do it. Um, I guess I'm next. Hey guys, I'm Jack Rains. Uh, live in Atlanta, Georgia, and I played football at Mercer University, a small division one school in Macon, Georgia. Um, joined the team as a walk-on and then ended up earning a scholarship after two years and then ended up staying and playing all five years. I was working in finance for UPS in Atlanta for about 18 months. I quit when they wanted us to go back to the office because I kind of enjoyed the whole remote work thing. And I have my own finance blog now, Young Money. And then I also write for Liquidity, the popular finance meme page. So that's kind of my background real quick. Awesome. And Corey? Hey, guys. Um, thanks for uh, having me on here. This is a great app and excited to be a part of this conversation first and foremost. But uh, so Corey Guerin, um, and I kind of hit every uh, rung on the ladder on the way up from high school. I went uh, JUCO out of high school to play baseball, um, at a small JUCO in North Georgia called Young Harris. Uh, then after that, uh, went to Mercer University as well, same as Jack, um, except when I was there, they didn't even have a football program, so I might be dating myself a little bit, but um, went to Mercer, got drafted out of Mercer uh, into professional baseball, um, just retired from professional baseball. I played about 15 seasons, uh, 10 of those uh, in the big leagues, a um, bunch of different organizations from Atlanta Braves, who I was drafted by. Uh, New York Yankees, San Francisco Giants, um, eight in total organizations kind of all over the country, but uh, had a ton of experience, got to be a part of um, the MLB executive board, got to take part in collective bargaining negotiations uh, with owners, trying to you know kind of get everything squared away, uh, but um, had, just had a ton of experience, great background uh, in terms of getting to kind of see under the hood of professional sports and the business of professional sports. Um, you know, as of 2021, uh, I retired and started kind of leaning into uh, Twitter and starting to grow a following traditionally in sports, uh, you know, especially in professional sports, they talked to us a lot about how, uh, you know, social media was really uh, a liability, you know, it was a place where you could mess up and it could really hurt your career. And so it wasn't until the last couple of years that I really started leaning into uh, you know, seeing the opportunity that was there in terms of utilizing your platform, kind of like a lot of the guys on here. So uh, excited to be a part of this uh, conversation, um, you know, kind of sharing what I'm learning through my pro career, through my experience coming up through college. Um, and as, you know, I continue to just grow my audience on, on Twitter and learn from these guys. He's, yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for, thanks for all the intro. It's got a great crew. Um, Maybe we can just kick off. I like we can keep it open. I don't think we need to go around the circle on every single topic. But what are some of the things that have kind of jumped out to people as, um, you know, like the primary kind of lessons, things you picked up from um, from your years playing sports that you know you think kind of now apply to your life? I I, I can start us, and you know, the big one for me is um, the ability to interact and kind of. Um, work with a variety of personalities is probably one of the ones that I think gets talked about the least. Um, you know, you hear a lot about the like resilience and grit, the determination and all, all the things that go into the practice side of it. 
And I think those are all very accurate. But one of the things that I noticed in my early years of working was just um, you had to be able to interact with a lot of different types of people, you know, and, and your company might have a lot of one type of people, but then you're interacting with clients and they're different, and they're wired differently. And athletes, you know, you've, you've had to spend time on different teams over your life. And, you know, speaking from my own experience in baseball, there's people from a lot of different walks of life. You know, you're playing with like guys that maybe grew up in the South and, you know, different, um, you know, different political, different religious beliefs, different, different backgrounds. You're playing with guys from Latin America, you know, speak different languages and you have to find ways to kind of work together and thrive. And that uh, capability, I think, is only honed through practice. And it applies so directly to whatever you're doing from a business, from an investing perspective, um, etc. So that, that'd be mine. Yeah, that's, yeah, that one's really good. Definitely the, like, the diversity of like people and knowing what gets them going as well. Um, the thing I would add, honestly, the most is like, it teaches you kind of your weaknesses and what you have to learn about like for myself, like I knew um, kind of the type of player I was, like I needed to work on my jumping ability, lateral quickness, et cetera. So it was like really honing in on my weaknesses and then improving my strengths. So I think that, that it's really applied well now because I know what I'm good at, but I also know like where I'm not afraid to look at kind of like, hey, if this isn't what I am great at. Like who are people? Because your teammate might be something like really good at something else in the sport and you kind of lean on them there. So I've kind of taken that whole concept of like, hey, you don't have to be great at everything, but the things you're not great at, like, outs you know, outsource them to your teammates or kind of work on them um, and just kind of like, hey, there's always going to be more talented people than you as well, uh, especially in basketball. Like I was always, you know, always felt like there were so many guys that are just so much better than me in so many ways. So it's like, hey, just worry about yourself um, in that standpoint. So that was kind of something short that that always stuck with me. I think um, I think the biggest one for me was it kind of forces you to take a bias towards taking action. Um, I know, like, I sometimes have a habit of being a habitual over planner, you know, like before you get started on any new task, if you feel like you aren't qualified for it, you aren't ready for it, um, you don't want to screw it up. But with sports, if like if you don't go out there and like stick yourself out there, you'll just get benched. Um, like I played defensive end and I came in as like a six stream defensive end and if you don't go out there and you know get your ass kicked by the senior offensive line a few times you're one never going to get better at your craft and then two like if coach doesn't see you trying to get reps then you're just never going to get reps so because I think sports are such a uh, probably the most pure meritocracy out there for the most part the best player is going to play um, if you want to achieve success, it forces you to like get as many reps as you can and take action as quickly as possible. So when you guys, when you guys think about like bias for action, I, I think that's a great one, Jack, that you brought up. Um, and Barrett, Barrett and I talk about this a lot because um, I consider myself um, something of like a idea guy. And I like, I bemoan the fact that throughout my life, I feel like my bias has been to come up with an idea and be like, Oh, that's a neat idea. And then nothing ever happens. And so like, I think that's good. You need to be an idea guy, but you need to pair with people that have that bias for action. And 
I really admire that about Barrett, for example. So like Barrett, can you expand upon that a little bit? Um, you know, how much of that was kind of natural in your, in your wiring and how much of that do you feel like you learned from, from sports? I think it's probably about 50, 50. Um, but it, so if you want to play sports at a high level, so for me, it was always my dream to play baseball in the ACC or the SEC. So automatically that's an elite group of players. It's really hard to achieve that goal. And then on top of that, as you know, we grew up um, in the Northeast. So it's not every day that players, at, at least at that time, there's more now, which is great, but it was pretty rare thing. And so I always knew that if I wanted to do that, it, we, I was always going to have to be either doing more or studying harder or working on uh, things that we might not have the advantages that kids in the South did like uh, at Cresty performance, for example, we were long tossing in um, unideal non-ideal conditions inside batting tunnels and things like that. So I think it, it just, no matter what the circumstance was, we were just forced into taking action and, and doing something all the time, whether it was cold, windy, rainy, bad weather. And so I've tried to carry that into business where nothing's going to get done if you don't do it. And that, that sounds obvious, but a lot of the time people wait for somebody else to do something. And so I want to be known as a person that is the person who does something. And then that always snowballs into something that you can never connect these dots until you get started. So it's a little cliche, but taking the first step is really the most important step because everything after that is, is really veiled until you get started. And usually opportunities are a lot bigger than they might seem um, before you get started. So that, that's really where it came from for me related to sports. Yeah. I was just going to piggyback off that. I think this is a great um, opportunity to, uh, have this discussion, like really signing up for sports, it, whatever the sport you're playing, you're signing up for um, a test, a regular test. And so there's an obvious bias towards action there. Like, you know, it's coming. You know, I was a relief pitcher. And so I never knew exactly when I was going to be going in, you know, all, all the way through college, through pro, I was always a reliever. Um, so I knew there was a test coming at some point and I had to be prepared for it whenever that might be. Now, like the better you are, obviously the more regular your test is going to be in sports. Um, but I think that's very relevant to, you know, in the business world as well. Like you need to pivot towards setting up opportunities where you can regularly be testing yourself. And the only way to consistently pass those tests, whether it's in sports or business or whatever, is to create systems that put you in a position to one, be prepared, um, but also to be able to go into those tests knowing that you have a high likelihood of success. And that's one of the things both in sports um, and since I've been out that I've seen kind of universally across uh, different industries is that the people that do things really well um, have leaned into one, taking action, but two, creating systems that allow them to succeed over time and, and get better over time. And I just think that's, that's one of the great things about sports in general, but it definitely relates um, on the other side of the lines as well. Let's take some callers up, um, to just like take some general topics as well. And then I have a few more that I want to talk about just as it relates to like college athletes and some of the opportunities around them, both from, you know, an athlete perspective, and then also from a startup perspective, if you were to be a builder, um, it looks like Brad is our first one here, Brad, if you just unmute, you'll be able to, uh, to speak.
And if not, we can roll straight into my NIL. Oh, there we go. Hey, Brad, are you there? All right. Well, let's roll straight into the NIL discussion then, guys. Um, I um, This is an interesting one, um, and it felt to me like it was a long time coming. I mean, I think about all the athletes who missed out on this, and I think it's such an absolute travesty how long this took. Like, sports in college were effectively, like, indentured servitude for such a long period of time. I think about you know, some of the great football players of the last 10, 15 years that I grew up watching, a guy like... Marcus Lattimore at South Carolina, who was an unbelievable running back um, and unfortunately had injuries that kind of derailed his career by, by the end of his college career. And the amount of earning potential that he had during that kind of few year stint was probably unrivaled um, relative to any other point in his life. And yet he was not able to capture it um, because of what the rules were in the legacy system. That's obviously changed now. Guys can actually take advantage of it. There's, you know, people, athletes making over a million dollars this year. It also opens up um, the ability for female athletes to make a lot of money, um, you know, and just as much, if not more than the male athletes, given their social media presence and their ability to kind of command from an audience. So I, I'd love to just kind of get some broader perspectives about what this all means, you know, what your takes are on it and what some of the opportunities here are. Andrew, you want to go first, given you've been writing about this a bunch? For sure. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a very long time coming. I th still think there's a long way to go in terms of, I mean, March Madness last night. I mean, you see there's 70,000 people at the game. Like, yeah, they can make some money off endorsements, but, like, they should probably get at least a little percentage of that. Like, the, I know me and Corey talked about this before, about revenue splits, just how the MLB, NBA, NFL work. But honestly, one of the most positive things of name, image, and likeness, NIL, and if anyone's unfamiliar, I should probably just explain that a little. Essentially, now college athletes can sign endorsement deals um, and get paid. Uh, they can't show their logo of their uniforms or their team name, um, any of that stuff. But, uh, you know, you can sign a deal just like Steph Curry could sign with Under Armour. A uh, college athlete can sign with, you know, certain companies, um, whoever. But um the the main basis is right now it's all based off your social media essentially um which i think is pretty standard for a lot of things honestly but the more followers you have the bigger the endorsement deals you're going to do but that one of the benefits of that is it opens a can of worms for any college athlete where now you're seeing women's athletes actually profiting off of it the most because they have the largest followings and bigger brands want to do bigger deals with them um so that that's good to see but one of the the downfalls is like there's these loopholes basically called collectives nil collectives and it's basically they're now just washing money through these like donors and they're saying hey you gotta you know post about whatever this collective is but we'll pay you a million dollars a year so we're basically setting up like legalized contract structures without like the school actually paying um, which is good for the players and the athletes. Like you love to see it, but it's just adding a whole nother legal kind of aspect to it um, as well. And brands, like for example, our brand, we, we've signed several athletes uh, to, we've probably done over $50,000 in NIL deals and they're very ROI positive for brands. So anyone, you know, working on a brand, like getting a college athlete on board is very 
ROI positive. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that. And um, but yeah, no, it's definitely definitely good to see in the space. I'm I'm sure I missed some things in that, but but yeah, I wish it was around when I was still playing. That's for sure. Other perspectives? Yeah, I was I actually uh, was having a conversation earlier today, kind of about one of the interesting um, timing aspects of NIL um, and the transfer portal um, kind of happening at the same time. You know, just like Andrew was talking about, these collectives that are coming out, teams uh, and companies and uh, universities are trying to figure out, you know, like what's happening here? Like, how is this space going to be defined? I definitely think it's a, a net positive for athletes. Um, you know, the, the more athletes have the ability to collect value um, that they're creating, which historically has just been non-existent uh, at the collegiate and uh, high school levels, uh, the better, in my opinion. But one of the things that I think will be interesting as we move forward is, um, you know, because of how the transfer portal works now, where essentially – um, you can function as a free agent uh, year to year as as a college athlete um, and the emergence of these uh, collectives that are operating in the NIL space. Like there's a legit chance that like a, a free agent kind of market could emerge um, in college sports to where you see, you know, for, for better or worse, however you want to look at um, the collectives and, and things like that. Um, you know, there's a legit opportunity for competition uh, in between universities for athletes and to Andrew's point, um, you know, as we see like female athletes being, uh, you know, promoted more consistently, being compensated, uh, you know, in a way that we just haven't seen in the past and, and really elevated uh, across the space. I think there's a, a real opportunity for um, growth in this area for player value and um, opportunity to just be promoted in a way that they should be and, and honestly should have been for a long time based on the value they've been creating. Yeah, I think NIL is really, really good. From my perspective, being a, a collegiate golfer, you know, I would have been paid absolutely nothing. And that was, uh, that's my market value. And I, I, you know, I do have a question for Andrew. So Andrew, are you aware of anything on the F1 student visa? Are they allowed to get NIL money? So, yeah, currently, like, international student-athletes are not able to. Um, that's you – know, I'm assuming that's what you're asking about. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, that's – international students are kind of – I'm not sure if you remember Oscar Toshiba, who's a player of the year for college basketball, men's college basketball this past year. He's from Africa originally, and he wasn't able to do NIL deals. And halfway through the year, some things like paperwork got submitted. And, like, the second – that he got approved. He signed a huge NIL deal and he actually flew his mom from Africa to the States and she saw him play for the first time. So like seeing stuff like that with NIL is obviously really cool to see. Um, and I'll kind of let Barrett or Jack touch on this, but I think like the ability to learn about how to like build your own personal brand and business as well is a huge benefit of NIL. Even if you sign a thousand dollars in deals, you gained invaluable experience um, and so he'll, uh, Liam Killingstad, he's written white papers for, uh, for open doors and stuff. He's, I think in this call, you might want to even add him to speak. He, he could give some good points from like the industry standpoint as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think uh, NIL is awesome. Um, agree with everyone. It was a long time coming. Um, an interesting question I have for Andrew is I'm hearing a lot about the female athletes doing really well with NIL. Is anyone talking about how this will affect how female professional athletes are paid? And are they seeing these same kind of endorsement deals? Um, it sounds like it's happening pretty frequently for the female collegiate athletes. Yeah, I think it'll definitely, I think we'll start seeing college athletes, like Corey mentioned, like the free agency model is definitely coming into play um, for better or worse. Uh, definitely better for players. But yeah, I mean, you're going to see college athletes be like, hey, why do I, should I go to the pros when I can make more in college? Um, so I could see that happening over the next couple of years for sure. Um, and I'll kind of let Liam take that over. I don't want to feel like I'm talking the whole time here. No, no, good. I think I think an interesting point that was made is on the women's sports side. If you look at the data currently, and Open Doors is this company that kind of tracks market. They've been like doing this since 2013 or 2014, um, kind of tracking different types of deals within the markets, waiting for this NIL rule to pass. And since the start, since the start of NIL, they've seen that female college women's college basketball is actually the second most profitable sport in terms of the deals that are being done through NIL. Uh, I think we recently posted something about this, but Paige Beckers from UConn just became the second most popular women's basketball player writ large, professional or collegiate, on Instagram and TikTok. And she's going to be able to monetize like crazy through that. And, and that's kind of like one of the driving factors through, um, through some of that monetization schedule. Um, I had a I had a question for I guess anybody, but it seems like like especially in like male athletes, like if you're a like starting quarterback at Alabama or like point guard for Duke, it's incredibly easy to sign a very lucrative deal. Um, but for the athletes, like like I played, I was a very very average defensive end at an FCS school. Like I would not have had great market value out there. Um, but I remember hearing about it was a kicker from UCF like several years ago who I think had to quit because he was making money from a YouTube channel that didn't really have anything to do with uh, like his football career other than that he had a few videos where he was kicking the football. But somebody like that who probably wouldn't have a uh, like who probably wouldn't make a lot of money playing football could have made a ton of money from the YouTube channel or endorsements that came from that. So like. What do you guys think about maybe the guys who weren't super talented athletically, but could have found a way to like monetize their personalities uh, through the NIL stuff? Yeah, I, this is a great question. I think there's a ton of opportunity here. I mean, my, my general bias on like creator economy, as people talk about it, is um, that you're going to see this massive shift over the next 10 years where like macro creators are not as much of a focus area and micro creators are much more of a focus um, for businesses. And why, why I think you're going to see that is just kind of a natural market dynamic. I think the pricing for macro creators is way out of whack in terms of ROI. And I mean, I, I even say that shooting myself in the foot, right? Like I have a pretty large newsletter now and I, I don't know, you know, from a pricing standpoint, how uh, brands are going to continue to scale and get ROI with with larger creators as they you know, as they have a larger presence relative to their opportunity to get an amazing ROI with these smaller creators that maybe have, you know, five, 10, 15,000 followers on some niche topic. And so when you talk about athletes, especially the ones who are really um, harnessing community building in what they are doing, you know, you mentioned the YouTube angle, 
I think a lot of these athletes are just tremendous community builders. And if you can go build these small communities that really care about what you are doing, what you're saying, the products you're promoting, the services you're promoting, whatever it is, the ROI on investing behind those kind of athletes is going to be exceptional uh, because you're not going to have to deploy as much capital. And so then, you know, where my head goes to is like, what are the interesting kind of picks and shovels businesses and startups that are going to enable um, you know, brands to connect with those type of athletes um, in a more organic way that maybe isn't like, hey, the star player at Alabama is promoting me. Maybe it's, you know, the random, you know, bench warmer on the Stanford team that happens to be really funny on TikTok or have some really funny niche community um, that they're able to engage with and actually generate, you know, clicks and kind of reactions from. I, I think it goes even like, like longer tail than that too. Like I know of a couple of division three athletes that are just, I don't know, like DHs on individual, like maybe ranked teams or something, but there's some of the most involved members on their campus. I actually know someone in my alma mater case, Western, who's making in the like close, making a, a decent sum that's like going into actually paying off some of his tuition by promoting like tropical smoothie around campus. And he's driven ROI by like 80% just because he's so involved in everything on campus. And he's like, I don't know, like a 4,000 Instagram follower, like nothing close to like, I, I don't even know if you'd qualify it as a, as a micro, micro creator in that sense, but just the involvement within the campus itself allows for there to be from like an SMB standpoint, like th there's this like great opportunity for ROI there that can actually help the, the individual communities on campus. Yeah, I totally agree with that point. I was going to, going to say something similar, but I think that we're talking about digital communities, but I also think there's a big opportunity in the physical communities, especially in the uh, cities that you would consider a quote college town, like Charlottesville, for example, where UVA is. Um, the athletes are treated very well there because the closest professional sports team is really almost three hours away in DC. So the opportunity to promote local businesses, for example, a place like Bodo's Bagels, which is a, a popular um, bagel restaurant in the town, they might get great ROI by getting the offensive line. We get our bagels at Bodo's before big games. I just think there's a lot of little things that can drive a lot of business for very small storefronts in these communities. And so I think there's a greater economic benefit to this than just um, for the athletes, maybe the overall city or town where they're located. I, I agree completely with the smaller. I think a lot of the, you know, I guess we'll call them micro influencers for this sake of conversation, but the ones that have more of a, because athletes, like, especially if you're a division one athlete, everyone from your hometown still knows who you are and you're like very popular in that sense. So you can still attract a very large audience in the terms of like the pull you have over your community you came from um, because it's still so hard to get to that next level, especially at the higher level. So we're seeing like, at least for, for our brand, like, Hey, we could go sign what, like say the star quarterback at whatever, an sec school, and we can just do a deal with him. Or for that same price, we can go sign five to like 5,000 kids or 500 kids depending on what range. And it's much more beneficial to do the larger number of people than just the one, than the one athlete, at least for us. Um, and I'm sure that's probably relevant to a lot of other companies as well. So that's where it's going to benefit everyone where the, the people with huge followings and that are the stars, you know, the 1% we'll call them, they'll still do big deals with the big companies, 
but everyone else will get the benefit from those larger campaigns for sure. I got to ask guys before, um, before we wrap this, I feel like I have to ask the question of web three um, and generate any eye rolls from anyone that's detractors of the space, but I have to ask the question. So what, what do you guys think the role of web three, if there is any, in um, enabling athletes, college athletes specifically, to to monetize and to kind of earn money off of their um, off of their expertise. NFTs. I think that's that's the major place. If anyone wants to go there before I go there. Yeah, I mean every single major NFT platform, especially like DraftKings and Autograph, have the ability for college athletes to. to build NFTs on top of there. Um, I, I think you're right, Andrew, that's kind of like the home run use case. I mean, just look at March Madness, like game winners, et cetera. Imagine the athletes themselves. And I mean, this goes into a greater discussion of who owns, you know, does CBS own these clips? Does the school, does the NCAA? But it's like, there's large monetization options. You know, if you own Chris Jenkins, for example, I think four years ago, hit the game winner for Villanova. If he owns that clip, I mean, we're talking very nice uh, monetization for him. Yeah, it's such an interesting question of, and I think it's like a legal gray area, actually, of like who owns these moments in time, these like special unique moments. Um, Like the Olympics, it's always been a big question, like who owns the miracle on ice moment? Um, And if you had an NFT associated with it for the athletes, it's sort of an interesting way, like for Olympic athletes in particular who don't necessarily have, you know, significant monetization potential from a career perspective. It's a pretty interesting way for them to have sort of a legacy and and royalty stream associated with these incredible world changing moments that they've created. I have another one. Go ahead, Liam. Mine was a little bit of a shift. So if you had something directly on that point, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to jump off that. One of the things that um, I've been having some conversations with lately, and I'd be interested to hear if anyone uh, on this has any insight into kind of this direction for the Web3 and, you know, this who owns the moments kind of thing. It's it's more around, um, you know, wearable tech, uh, just specifically in, in sports and sport development um, and how more and more athletes are capturing their own data. Um, and how that data is being used, um, one, to make decisions by universities and professional sports teams and how they train, how they develop players, um, but also how they're selecting players and making their decisions. And so um, one of the things that, you know, I've been talking about lately with some people is, you know, players being able to capture that value, um, you know, what that's going to look like in this Web3 um, kind of phase where, you know, so much of the value for an athlete, if you're not a like social facing athlete where, you know, maybe you don't want to be hyping whatever on your platform. A lot of, a lot of athletes want to just focus on what they're doing and they're creating real value that historically has just been um, realized in professional contracts, but the presentation of the work that they're doing, the development they make, which informs those, those decisions that provides real value to teams and organizations that are making those decisions. So creating marketplaces um, and infrastructure that allows for athletes to one, control their own data, 
um, and to be able to share it in a way where they can be compensated for that data, um, I think is a big opportunity for athletes moving forward. You know, obviously the stuff we've talked about with NIL is a, a huge opportunity, um, you know, from a, a marketing and brand promotion standpoint, but just in terms of uh, owning created real value and turning it into um, digitalized value, I think this is a place where because of the, you know, growth that we've seen in wearable tech and the advancements that we've seen and how teams uh, and programs across sports are using this kind of information to uh, ascribe value to players and make decisions like this will be a real opportunity, uh, I believe, for players to be able to um, lean into that and, and capture some value. But I'd be interested to hear what you guys think about that potential. I just think the challenge, I mean, I, one of the business opportunities that I see that I think is going to be really interesting just as like a startup investor too, is going to be the ability to just like track and manage all of this stuff is going to be a massive headache for schools um, and for brands for that matter. But like, it's just going to be so complicated, all of the different things people are doing, the, you know, the regulations around it, how you're managing, you know where it all exists sort of like i mean what carta does for cap tables like schools are going to kind of need to be able to do that for um for all of these kind of nil deals that that students are doing and that the student athletes are doing and there's such a long tail of athletes out there you know and then you add the web3 overlay into it and people are earning money in eth and their metamasks and like you know anyone that's participated in um in web3 knows how much of a pain in the ass dealing with taxes on all that stuff is so, you know, layer all of that on and it just becomes this like massive, uh, like epic horror of complexity that some startups are going to come in and figure out how to abstract that away and make a whole lot of money doing it, if I had to guess. Yeah, and the tough part is that's a state by state issue, too. So, like, ah, add great point. That, yeah, add on that extra layer of complexity. One other thought that I think maybe people on this call would agree with. If I could have raised a fucking DAO to get my meal allocation higher, I would have done that in a second. So there's one for the, uh, for the creative aspect, if anyone can think about how we can get fed better when we're on the road. You mean PB&Js on the bus after a game isn't count as getting fed better uh, for elite athletes? Well, yeah, and then when they forget, like a knife or fork, so you have to scoop it with a banana. <laughs> so good. Um, any uh, any last thoughts, guys? Um, before we uh, before we wrap for the evening, anything that uh, that has come to mind as as people have thought about this different stuff that they're uh, excited about? I'd say the last thing. I think it's something interesting, and this actually applies to all athletes. And Corey, I'd actually be interested to hear your perspective, having played in the pros for so long. But of like people actually being able to invest in athletes like stocks themselves. I've seen some some concepts get thrown around. I think Rodriguez, A-Rod is doing something with that. Like, is there any, like, is that a real thing? Like, you think that could work? I mean, we already talk about, like, the mental health of athletes is, you know, not great for a lot of them. Like, I think that would add a whole nother complexity. But it could be good monetization. You know, fans say, hey, I really believe in this player. It's a whole new revenue stream. You think that's feasible? Um, I've, I've just kind of been wondering that. I've, I've seen some headlines recently. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that there have uh, been existing products like that already happening, but it's it's primarily has been based off of like future earnings, right? So you buy uh, a percentage or, you know, let's say a, a firm sets up these kind of contracts and uh, they're buying percentages of players' future earnings. I haven't necessarily heard specifically like individuals being able to do it, but I think it's a natural extension of something that's already happening. Um, the only thing is there's really like a sweet spot in terms of who actually would sign up for that kind of thing. Um, you're less likely to get like the superstars, um, you know, potential future superstars to do it. Um, so I think that's the challenge is like really identifying who who would sign up for doing that kind of thing. And you really have to have buy in from the talent, um, I would think, to to move the needle in terms of users as well. But, uh, you know, stuff like that has been happening. I don't know. Um, moving forward, if uh, it makes sense for sure. But yeah. Yeah, I guess you could maybe tie it to an NFT or something, too. Um, I don't know. Just something to think about. I've been kind of wondering about seeing a few things on the cross my cross my uh my headlines all right guys well i appreciate everyone taking the time and and joining for this um look forward to sharing out the uh sharing out the recording of it and any transcripts as well um we'll have to uh we'll have to reconvene the group in person for some uh for some more live discussions hopefully in the not too distant future as as the weather gets a little bit better and and uh we're all hopefully in the same locations at some point in time um appreciate everyone joining and uh we'll look forward to sharing the recording of it all thanks everyone